Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and health coach. I want to be her best friend. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. This is Danielle, and I am super excited for today's podcast because I have an amazing guest. We have Dr. Joel Kahn joining us. Let me just give you a little bit of an intro about him and let you know all of the things he's done because he truly has an impressive resume. Dr. Kahn of Detroit, Michigan, is a practicing cardiologist. He's a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine. He graduated summa cum laude from the University of Michigan Medical School, and he is known as America's Healthy Heart Doc. Dr. Khan has triple board certification in internal medicine, cardiovascular medicine, and interventional cardiology. He was the first physician in the world to certify in metabolic cardiology with A4M, MMI, and the University of South Florida. He founded the Khan Center of Cardiac Longevity in Bingham Farms, Michigan. And Dr. Khan has authored scores of publications in his field, including articles, book, chapters, and monographs. He writes health articles and has five books in publication, including Your Whole Heart Solution, Dead Execs, Don't Get Bonuses, and The Plant-Based Solution. He just came out with his sixth book, Lipoprotein A, The Heart's Quiet Killer, and he has regular appearances on Dr. Phil, The Doctor Show, Dr. Oz, Larry King Now, The Joe Rogan Experience, and with Bassam Youssef. He has been awarded a Health Hero Award from Detroit Cranes Business. He owns Green Space and Go, a healthy restaurant in suburban Detroit. He serves as medical director of the largest plant-based support group in the U.S., which is pbnsg.org and Dr. Khan can be found at drjoelkhan.com. And I know Dr. Khan, he's a great guy. I when I lived in Michigan, I would run into him all the time and I actually went to high school with his daughter. So it's such a small world and I'm like so excited that he's going to be on the podcast because he's going to provide us with so much valuable information about the plant-based diet. Before we hop into the episode, I want to give you my health tip of the day and my cooking tip of the day. For my health tip of the day, I want you guys to work on eating more beets. I think it's just an underrated vegetable and not enough people are eating them when they're incredibly nutritious, they're super nutrient dense, and they're filled with cancer-fighting antioxidants, folate, vitamin C, manganese, potassium, iron, and fiber. They lower blood pressure, increase exercise performance, reduce inflammation, support brain health, improve digestion, and they're the perfect addition to your diet if you're trying to lose weight because they're high in nutrients but lower in calories. I love making a vegan Greek salad and adding beets onto it, and you could even have beet juice if you don't feel like eating it. Tons of stores and juice bars sell beet juice that are mixed with like apple and celery and all kinds of yummy things, but you could also just make it yourself at home. For my cooking tip of the day, I want to talk about tofu. Tofu can be super mushy, but if you make it right, it can be so good. I think tofu gets a bad reputation because when people don't know how to cook it right, it can be like very soft and mushy and it's just kind of like the stereotypical thing that vegans eat. But when you learn to make it right, and I'm going to teach you some tips and tricks, it can be so yummy. 
I recommend getting the most firm tofu that you can find. And if you can find one where all the moisture is sucked out, that's even better. Um, for example, the high protein tofu from Trader Joe's is very, very firm. If you have an air fryer, just cut your tofu into cubes, season it with smoked paprika, salt, garlic, and cook them for like 12 minutes and flip them halfway through. But don't worry if you don't have an air fryer, you can use your oven or you can use the stove. So when you cut them into cubes and cook them, that actually makes like tofu nuggets instead of chicken nuggets. We love dipping them in ketchup and then you have the most perfect vegan tofu nuggets. And Again, if you don't have an air fryer, just crisp them up in a nonstick pan until they're golden brown on each side. Let all of the moisture cook out of them and don't add moisture to the pan when you're cooking with them. So like I recommend sauteing vegetables and veggie broth, for example, don't add veggie broth to your tofu. It's just going to add more moisture. We're trying to get all the moisture cooked out of it. That's how it's going to get crispy. You can also use your oven, just bake them on a baking sheet with parchment paper for about 45 minutes on high heat at like 475 and flip them halfway through. Olive oil is optional. You can use it to make it crispier or you can totally leave it off. I have an amazing tofu nugget recipe on my website. So if you want to follow a recipe in more detail, just go to my website, healthygirlkitchen.com and you'll find my air fryer tofu nugget recipe. Anyway, I'm excited to get into today's episode where we're talking with Dr. Khan. So without further ado, let's welcome Dr. Khan to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Hi, Dr. Khan. Welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Well, I'm pretty darn excited down there in Florida. Uh, We're just making it through our Michigan COVID recovery period and good to connect again. Yes, definitely. And I was just telling everyone when I recorded the intro previously that I went to high school with your daughter. And it's just such a funny, small world that, you know, we're here reconnecting again. It's joyful, truly. I was very excited when you reached out because you were always a thought leader in health. And I say that honestly. So you're living the dream. Yes, definitely. And I don't know if everyone else knows this, but I wrote a plant-based ebook um, when I was still in college and Dr. Khan actually like wrote an endorsement for it. So he's always believed in me and has always supported me. So I'm really excited that he's here. He's a wealth of knowledge and I'm so excited for you to be here. But I want to start back in the beginning and back to your childhood. Can you give us a background on that? Back to the childhood. Well, there actually are just a couple bullet points um, and it's it's a great life, but I had a couple bumps in the road. I was born with a murmur. So the first thing my mother heard when I was about a week old was a doctor telling her there's something wrong with this kid. Uh, it's still true 61 years later, but it isn't the hard part. But anyways, I started visiting, I don't remember the beginning, but pediatric cardiologist. All that I want to say is I got interested in heart disease very early. I never had any problem. Whatever issue caused a noise called a murmur, it went away. But I can remember being 10, 11, 12, being down at Henry Ford Hospital or Detroit Children's and all the cool machines and uh, fancy words. So anyways, I would have told you as a kid, I was going to be a heart doctor growing up. There weren't any physicians in the family. And I grew up with something you're familiar with. I was keeping kosher. I didn't eat pork. I didn't eat meat and uh, cheese together, just something we did as a family. Uh, And then when I got into University of Michigan, which was a combined undergraduate and medical school program, way back in 1977, way before you and probably all your listeners were born, uh, the easiest path to take to try and maintain a 
kosher dietary uh, choice was to eat out of the salad bar in the dorm. So in the first week, I stopped eating all animal products, started eating exclusively plant products. It was pretty cool in Ann Arbor to do that, even back then. And actually, I never went back. So my introduction to nutrition came out of just trying to honor some uh, traditional dietary guidelines that uh, many religions have. I was following the Judaic kosher laws. And pretty soon, I started actually learning some stuff about nutrition in med school, just a little bit. But I did learn, and since I had made this choice, I was a little more attuned. Um, Started reading some books. So by the time I finished my cardiology training in 1990, I really already had pretty good uh, interest and funded knowledge about what was being done out there in nutrition research for heart disease. And there was a very famous study published. This is now 1990, been plant-based for 13 years. Uh, from age 18 to now age 31, came back to the state of Michigan, had done a lot of my medical training out of the state. And uh, a paper was published uh, by an author I didn't know, now he's a very famous Dr. Dean Ornish, MD, that said you can actually reverse blocked heart arteries with a plant-based diet. And here really was a surprise to all of us, uh, at least those of us that read this very well done research study that you could use nutrition to stop and reverse heart disease. I'd been eating that way, and I was now trained to treat heart attacks and treat heart disease. The bottom line is since 1990, I've educated my patients. We have medication, we have stents, we have bypass surgery, uh, you know, we have exercise, but nutrition is a real pathway to prevent and even reverse a lot of heart diseases like high blood pressure, like high cholesterol, like high blood sugar, like clogged arteries prevent a heart attack, prevent a stroke. So it's been kind of a, you know, a lot of good luck, um, but it's really the most exciting feature of cardiology and medicine in my mind is, you know, uh, preventive medicine, integrative medicine, functional medicine, empowering people that, you know, you can't avoid every disease and avoid every surgical procedure, but, you know, 80% of the healthcare dollars, 80% of the operations, 80% of the prescriptions could be largely eliminated if people took their nutrition and their lifestyle, you know, as serious as they used to take planning a vacation or building a house, Uh, although it's obviously far more important to do it for your health. Yes, definitely. And I want to dive into all of that. But can we go back to when you first started being vegan? Because obviously, back then, that wasn't like the cool thing to do. That wasn't mainstream. So what was it like being vegan when it wasn't cool? Yeah, you know, the term vegan was actually created in 1944 in London by a group called the British Vegan Society that formed that year. I wasn't aware of the term. It wasn't frequently used. You didn't, you know, walk into a grocery store and see that label on food or clothing like you do in 2020 and such. Um, But uh, it was a vegan diet. It was challenging. There were a couple companies out there making fake meats and fake bologna's. One of them still out there, corn, Q U O R N, I think you spell it. I actually don't know that I've ever eaten their products, but they were out there and some really poor quality fake hot dogs and fake meats. And I can remember eating them. They were in the grocery store. Um, Not often. Uh, You know, we didn't have as much conversation about junk vegan food and healthy vegan food because there was so little option overall. You know, you would eat salads and you would eat vegetables and you would make bean burgers. There were a few, you know, hippie kind of cookbooks and all. But there were definitely challenges. I'll tell you, since you asked, the moment that I had to really decide, am I sticking with this or not? I was already by that point a um, 
second year internal medicine resident in Ann Arbor. So we're up to about 1984. So I've been doing this for about seven years. I won a research award, pretty big research award in cardiology. And the invitation got you to go to Washington, D.C. to present your research with your chief of internal medicine. And the chief of internal medicine at Ann Arbor was a world famous and really tough Southern doctor. He would belittle you on rounds. He would yell at you. It was very chauvinistic. If you were a woman, you clearly got treated rougher than if you were a guy. All the old-fashioned stuff that was allowed back then without you know, any hashtag on it. And we showed up at the Hubert Humphrey Dining Room at the U.S. Senate, which is to this day the most elegant place I've ever been. I mean, this is where presidents have eaten. And they brought out all the sterling and all the silver, about 80 of us, people that won the awards and their trainees. I had called ahead. Even in 1982, I knew to call ahead. You know, there was no email to tell you how long ago this was, so it must have been a phone call. And said, you know, I do not eat. And I went through the list, chicken, turkey, pork, dairy, uh, you know, beef and such. Oh, don't, no problem, Dr. Khan, we'll have a special meal for you. So they took these silver domes and all at once they lifted the silver domes. Everybody had prime rib and there's a way you serve it called French service. It's the most elegant service in the world. And everyone, ooh, ah, then they brought my special dome. I think it was George Washington's dome, and they opened it. It was Mrs. Paul's fish and chips, but they took the fish out. So I had peas and carrots, and I can tell you, my Southern chief of medicine looked over at me and he said, "Ooh, boy, Doctor Khan, you're gonna be eating some fine food tonight." <laughs> that should have been the moment I gave up, but it just became, you know, a matter of habit. And uh, I've always been a bit of a contrarian. Um, I went through cardiology training in Dallas, Texas. I think I ate okra two meals a day. I mean, and you know, I'll never eat okra again. I ate so much okra. It was the only thing you'd find in the hospital cafeteria. So where there are challenges, there were challenges. But you had to cook your own food. And we're in this plant-based world right now where you can buy so much prepackaged plant-based food. You actually have to go back and read the recipes you know, to make sure, you know, I used to read recipes to make sure there wasn't meat or cheese in the packaged food. Now I want to know how many chemicals and how much coconut oil. You're better off learning how to make a little bit of food at home. Uh, maybe one of the best coronavirus positive comments is so many more people are cooking at home right now. You know, just know how to make a soup and a chili and a casserole and, you know, a big salad and, you know, eat real food. That's always going to be better choice than eating factory food. For sure. And I give you a lot of credit for sticking to your guns back then, because even for me, having been plant-based now for five years and making the transition like you when I was in college, eating a lot of salad from the salad bar, whole wheat pasta, all that kind of stuff. It was still hard. Like even five years ago, it was not the cool thing. It was not as mainstream. Like a lot has happened in the past five years. So I give you a lot of credit for being an OG vegan. <laughs> Good term. I don't think that's ever been applied to me, but I... You are. You're an OG vegan. Yeah. Original, original vegan. I gotcha. So you were reading all of this research back when you were in medical school. You're reading all about nutrition, the plant-based diet. What was the juxtaposition of that versus what you were learning in medical school? Were they teaching you about nutrition? Yeah, no. And it's everything you've heard about, you know, with a few rare exceptions. But I really, I didn't have a nutrition role model that I ever encountered during my training. There weren't any. I mean, I was in Dallas one of the barbecue capitals of the world. I was in Kansas City, the barbecue capital of the world, you know, KC Masterpiece Barbecue Sauce. Um, you know, every hospital function I went to, to this day, 
That's the sad part. That was the 1980s, and to this day, you're going to find you know it challenging to get a healthy meal where it should be the norm. So you know, you you there wasn't the internet even, so you didn't go online and find Oshi oh, Glows recipes or something you know that just sparkled with great options. Um, you know, there were a few. I'm trying to remember the Moosewood Cookbook that was like really popular hippie food and. Um, there was a book that made a big impact on my life. John Robbins, who's now with Ocean Robbins, the Food Revolution Network, and not everybody knows that there's an amazing, you know, energy and site and um, resource called the Food Revolution Network. But John Robbins was a bigger hero in every sense than me. His father owned Baskin Robbins. That's why his name is Robbins. His uncle was Baskin. And at age 18, watching his father have diabetes and his uncle have a stroke, or it might be vice versa, he walked away from the largest uh, ice cream company in the world, which was supposed to be his to learn and take over, and became a hippie organic vegan farmer in Vancouver, um, truly hippie. And he wrote a book in 1985 called The Diet for a New America. And it was a well-written book about uh, plant-based diet in health, plant-based diet in the environment, plant-based diet in animal rights and the whole issue. I didn't know any of that stuff and somebody gave me a copy of that book in the mid 80s. And that really kind of sealed the deal. That made me much stronger, much more interested to get a global perspective. I mean, I didn't give up wearing leather immediately and you know, it wasn't like it was an epiphany, but made me exposed and sensitive to all that. And John Robbins and his son Ocean are still very active teaching. They just finished the Food Revolution Summit, which is one of the bigger plant-based educational uh, forums. So um, it didn't come up on rounds. I mean, you know, you didn't prescribe patients plant-based diets. Um, there was, frankly, there was no conversation about nutrition. It wasn't like I had to raise my hand and say, you know, you got that wrong when you talked about meat and cheese. Nutrition wasn't a therapy. It wasn't viewed, and it rarely is viewed as a therapy even in 2020, which is unfortunate because the science has progressed. I mean, you can modify the outcome of cancer and heart disease and diabetes and, you know, brain disease and uh, rheumatoid arthritis and connective tissue diseases, autoimmune diseases. It goes on and on. You may not be able to cure and prevent every one, but you have a profound impact. But you know, find a medical school, a residency, a fellowship, or a practice that puts nutrition, you know, at least on par with medication and maybe the first choice before medication. Uh, hang on to that practice because it's uh, not common. It just, it's where the future's going. It's just not common. It's so incredible that now you as a cardiologist, that's what you do. You're, you prescribe a plant-based diet to your patients. So can you walk us through when a patient comes to see you and they have whatever it is, high cholesterol, they're looking into having a surgery, what are you telling them? Right. So some come pre-educated. You know, you will attract people that have already changed their diet and know of the resources. So I go through a quick little quiz. And the sad thing, this question might be somebody with high blood pressure. It might be somebody that's had three heart attacks, four stents, and open heart bypass. My questions are, have you ever watched Forks Over Knives? Have you ever heard of Dr. Dean Ornish? Have you ever heard of Dr. Neil Barnard, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn? The answer is going to be, oh man, 10 years ago, and this is how I eat nowadays. Or I have no idea what you just said. And I've been to the University of Michigan and I've been to Beaumont Hospital and I've been to Henry Ford and nobody's ever asked me those questions. I don't even know what they mean. So as soon as I realize where they're at educationally, 
Um, it's a great opportunity, particularly if they're a clean slate, because I will whip out my prescription pad and I will write there, Netflix, watch three movies, Forks Over Knives, What the Health, Game Changers movie, 2011, 2017, 2019. Most of them do actually watch all three, um, but even if they watch one, I've already given them the, you know, the keys to the future by at least opening their mind that there's a lot of discussion and a lot of doctors and a lot of evidence and athletes and the whole thing. Um, and that has a profound effect and it's uh, something, you know, that I routinely recommend. Two, I might, you know, recommend a book. I like to find out if people like to watch or read or podcast. And if it's a podcast, it's going to have to be, you know, the healthy girl from now on. I get them started. And truly, for a lot of people, that is where they should start. I have a short podcast, Heart Doc VIP, but it isn't really, it's simple, but I don't know that it's really uh, uh, the best place to start. Um, people like podcasts, so I might turn them on to nutritionfacts.org podcast or something. And usually a book, um, they could read one of my books, they could read, uh, if they're really a serious heart patient, read either Dr. Ornish's Undo It or Dr. Esselstyn Prevent and Reverse Heart Disease. If they're a diabetic, they probably should read either Dr. Neil Barnard's program to prevent diabetes, reverse diabetes, or the newer book out there called Mastering Diabetes by uh, Robbie Barbero and Cyrus Kambapati. A great book. If they've got autoimmune diseases, they should learn who Dr. Brooke Goldner is with a book called Goodbye Lupus, an amazing short little book, uh, inexpensive book. Um, you know, some of these books are packed with recipes, like my book, The Plant-Based Solution, packed with recipes. That's usually enough. Uh, what I do re recently, too, now, is I'll very often refer them to one of two things, either a food delivery program, because it's very daunting to change your habits in the kitchen. They don't know what to buy in the grocery store. They don't know what tempeh is. They don't know what a cannellini bean is. They don't know how to make homemade hummus. So there's a company out of Ohio called Sprinley, sprinley.com. I don't own it, but you'll get on your doorstep five or six organic plant meals that can be very delicious to sample. There's others like Saqqara and Purple Carrot, and um, I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving some of the bigger players out. It's a tough business. I might have them try, and this probably your listenership doesn't know this, if there is issues of being overweight or inflammation, um, there's a little box called Prolon, P-R-O-L-O-N, the fasting mimicking diet. But it's a five-day plant-based food program designed by the leading nutrition expert at University of Southern California, Dr. Longo. And it's basically 800 calories a day. It's sort of fasting and plant-based. Like within really a short time, I've introduced them to a whole bunch of concepts. You know, low protein is better than high protein once in a while. Plant-based is better than meat-based. Why did Dr. Longo pick a plant-based program to create a program that stimulates stem cells and rejuvenates? Anyways, it can be a woman left today. I want to get rid of my blood pressure medicine, and I want to drop some weight, and I want to do it in a healthy way. She walked out carrying this five-day program called Prolon. It'll probably be the first time in her life she ate you know, um, a real healthy, plant-based, happens-to-be-gluten-free program designed by one of the leading nutrition experts in the world. So those are the tools I use. I don't have dietitians in my practice. I'll make one last statement. I know I'm going a little long. Community really helps. A podcast community helps. Everything now is a digital community, of course, uh, in this new phase that we live in. But uh, six and a half years ago, a Detroiter called me named Paul Chatlin and 
said to me on my cell phone, um, you don't know me, I'm a heart patient. I eat perfect plant-based as described by Dr. Esselstyn in the Cleveland Clinic, but I'm the loneliest human in Detroit because I don't know anybody else doing this. Can we find 20 people that eat like me because I did my research and I know you teach this. Can we find some people and make a little support group, little potluck? I said, Paul, I should have done it. Yes, we will. I'll get 20 people. I took a room at Beaumont. 135 people showed up. I don't even know where they heard about it. Wow. And I gave a little lecture and we took a little email list. And the next month we said, let's do this again. 150 people showed up. That little group now, it's called Plant-Based Nutrition Support Group or pbnsg.org, has over 7,000 members now. And it really was one crazy patient and one crazy doctor with a lot of energy. We found out there were people everywhere that wanted a community. They did know who John Robbins, or they did know who Dr. Barnard, or Ornish, or McDougall, or Esselstyn, or Furman. They just didn't know who else was eating this way. And it created such an energy and such an effective support for people. Um, It created people lost 100 pounds and never had bypass and got off medicines and we had a bunch of people get married and babies. And, you know, that's what community does, you know, a bunch of like-minded people. But uh, you can do that in Boca Raton, you and a doctor. Uh, boom, you've got this living thing. They've done it in Chicago. They've done it in Hilton Head. Uh, there's a similar program in Rochester, New York. So community is great. I agree. I, I love all those resources you gave. There are so many, as you said, documentaries out there, podcasts, books. All it really takes is just going on Google and, and researching it for yourself and finding a community is so important. And there are also, um, you didn't mention like a ton of Facebook groups. I, I'm in them too. Like if you watch Forks Over Knives, there's a Forks Over Knives Facebook group that you can join and you can go in, you can ask questions, you can find recipes in there. Yeah, thanks for pointing that out because I'm always impressed. I'm members of those. I don't spend a lot of time. But, you know, what's your favorite kitchen tool to make, you know, a bean chili? And you get 700 people answer. <laughs> I agree. It, it's really quite a wonderful, you know, technology phenomenon. Definitely. So for someone who isn't familiar, I just want to clarify, when you prescribe a plant-based diet to someone, what foods are you telling them to eliminate and what foods are you telling them to add in? It's a very good question. And, you know, I do tailor it to why they're seeing me either casually or professionally. If they're really serious heart patients, I mean, people come to see me, I'm scheduled for open heart surgery next week and I don't want it. Or, you know, I have really, you know, uh, advanced diabetes that I'm trying to deal with or kidney disease. You know, I'll give them the all or nothing. You know, this is the proven research and we wouldn't, you know, modify a prescription drug. Let's not modify a prescription diet. So that's going to be a whole food, plant, natural, and no added oil diet. I think that's only needed for these more advanced and sicker people looking to reverse a condition, whether it's rheumatoid arthritis, whether it's uh, heart disease, high blood pressure, diabetes. Um, and that's based on science. That That is the program that Mr. Nathan Pritikin and Dr. Dean Ornish and Dr. Esselstyn and Dr. Furman and Dr. Bernard. This is what they researched. Dr. McDougall, this is what they published. So, I mean, I'm going to tell them to eat four food groups, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and the legumes, beans, peas, lentils, natural soy products. Um, I'm going to tell them to avoid oils. This is, again, a small slice of the whole pie. Um, Avoid oils, avoid... uh, massive amounts of nuts and avocados. I'm pretty liberal about some of them, even though the research that was done didn't include them, but I'm a little more liberal on it. 
and obviously no dairy and no animal products. So, you know, today starts your new diet. And yes, you can mess up along the way, but it's oatmeal for breakfast, always an easy fallback. Or you can learn to make a really super healthy smoothie with, I'm a freak about chia, hemp, and flaxseed. So I like people pounding them in. You can do that in oatmeal. You can do it in a smoothie. I want you to know how to make one great soup, one great chili, one great casserole. Um, learn to enjoy an apple or an orange for your sweet. I don't want you to really uh, eat not, eating a lot of uh, baked goods and all. Um, learn to, you know, saute in vegetable stocks and uh, get an instant pot or a steamer so you don't really need oils and all. For the others, it depends where they're coming from. There's a lot of pushback resistance. Of course, if they pre-selected me, they may know that I'm a plant-based physician. I'm pretty crazy about that. But I'm very happy. Like the forks over knives approach is switch out your breakfast. Go from bacon to oatmeal. For a lot of people, that's a cultural shock that goes back 50 years. Um, and if I can get them to do that, even for a week or two, I'm pretty satisfied. You know, learn to eat an apple, not a donut. That's a pretty common, I mean, small little request. Um, try a bean burger instead of a beef burger. Again, a lot of people have never. Now with Beyond Meat and Impossible and all the others, it's more widely known that there's some beef-like burgers that don't have beef. I'm not a big fan of those knockoffs, um, but they're enjoyable now and then. Uh, Trader Joe has a pretty nice plant-based burger that doesn't have quite the fat content, the coconut oil content of Beyond Meat and Impossible. Um, yeah, you know, another rule. And this is a Chef AJ rule. If anybody knows Chef AJ, you know, eat a salad as big as your head every day. You know, get one giant salad in. It can be if they want to eat that with chicken, and that's their starting point. Giant salad with a piece of salmon. If that's where they got to start, get started. Um, and you know, and then as they watch the movies. I write this down, three or four, you know, bean burger, apple, oatmeal, green smoothie. I mean, I don't give them a hundred things to do because it's challenging and people are busy. Uh, I want to give them, you know, a recipe for a healthy smoothie. Okay, if that's the only thing you accomplished, it's a great step forward. I want to take a quick break to talk about gut health. If you didn't know, 70% of our immunity stems from our gut. So if your gut microbiome is unbalanced, you can experience a lot of problematic symptoms like leaky gut, unwanted bloating, candida, anxiety, nausea, skin problems like acne, irregular bowel movements, the list goes on. So it's really important to remember that your diet should be made up of high fiber, nutrient dense plant foods, that you're drinking a ton of water, getting exercise, and making sure you're eating a wide variety of plant foods. However, in addition to a healthy diet, you need to be sure that you're taking a probiotic. Obviously, if you're vegan, taking a B12 is essential, but in my humble opinion, a probiotic should come next. For the past year, I've been taking the Silver Fern probiotic supplement, and it's honestly been life-changing for me. My digestion is on track, it's decreased my bloating, my system is super regular, and I'm really excited because I have partnered with Silver Fern on Instagram before and on my blog, and now they are sponsoring the Healthy Girl podcast. And they're actually guests on the podcast as well. I'm really excited for you guys to hear the episode with them. But basically, I'm obsessed with their products. If you follow me on Instagram, you know that I'm always posting about the Silver Fern products on my story, that I'm taking the probiotic, I'm using all of their products, and the probiotic is just something I'm really passionate about because it really has made such a huge difference. 
I've tried so many different probiotics, you know, as an influencer, as a blogger, I get sent a lot of different products to try. So I've tried a lot of the probiotics that are on the market and a lot of them just don't seem to do anything and nothing compares to the silver fern one. They're third-party tested to ensure survivability, so you don't need to put them in the fridge. It contains five potent strains. Their probiotics increase immunity, digestion, your metabolism, and just improve your overall gut health. I also used to get a lot of like hormonal breakouts on my neck and chin area around my period, and since taking the Silver Firm probiotics, I don't get that anymore, so that's also a huge win. Anyway, you can take one of their probiotics with each of your meals and it works best when taken with fiber. So anytime you eat, you can take it once, you can take it up to three times a day. Super simple. Also just a note for my vegan friends or those of you who get bloated easily from beans or from your plant-based meals, this probiotic helps so much with bloating. And if you have trouble digesting certain foods, You can also order their digestive enzyme, which I'll talk more about in another episode, but you can take their digestive enzyme, their probiotic. They're a little bit pricier than other probiotics out there, but that's because they source the highest quality ingredients. But good news, I have a discount code for you. So if you use code HEALTHYGIRL, you will get 20% off your order. So just use HEALTHYGIRL at checkout to get that discount. That's H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-G-I-R-L, HEALTHYGIRL at checkout. So let's get back into the episode. I want to talk a little bit about oil because you just mentioned it and you mentioned it for people who maybe have a more advanced, serious condition. But I want to talk about oil for like your average person, even myself, like a young person who's healthy. What are your thoughts about including oil? So, you know, you could take a thousand different approaches. I mean, has olive oil been around in culture for thousands of years? Absolutely. And has it emerged as a component of the Mediterranean diet? extra virgin olive oil from Italy, from Greece, from Spain, from Portugal. Absolutely. And we think that that's a very healthy example if you're asking, you know, a whole population, the Mediterranean diet, uh, reduce your dairy, reduce your red meat. Uh, If you're going to eat animal products, fish is the preferred animal. I'm not a fish eater, but that's still what the Mediterranean diet is. Eat lots of fruits, vegetables, legumes, and grains, and use extra virgin olive oil. Now, the key there is people are using extra virgin olive oil in place of butter, in place of lard, in place of Crisco. And there's incontrovertible data. One, the Mediterranean diet, which includes extra virgin olive oil, is a good example that's been studied in hundreds of articles to reduce brain disease, diabetes, heart disease, inflammation. may not be the best, but it's a good one, uh, without a doubt. Um, In a recent Harvard School of Public Health study, Harvard has this database of 130,000 doctors and nurses, and they every four years ask them 57 pages of questions about their diet, and they follow these people for 30 years. They published, I think it was in March of 2020 or so, um, their analysis that those that used extra virgin olive oil instead of butter had a significant drop in the risk of heart attack and stroke. Extra virgin olive oil wasn't the bad guy. It's the good guy compared to butter, lard, and Crisco, and maybe, I think, compared to coconut oil, because the amount of saturated fat in extra virgin olive oil is much less than it is in coconut oil. Where the confusion comes is when the idea came up, could diet improve the outcome for heart patients? That actually goes back to about 1950 in Los Angeles. That diet didn't include olive oil or any oils. It was called the Morrison diet. Then the famous uh, crazy engineer Nathan Pritikin in the 60s designed a program to try and 
prevent blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. He didn't include any oils in his diet. And Dr. Ornish didn't include or at least didn't advise any oils. Dr. Esselstyn didn't advise any oils. Dr. McDougall and Dr. Bernard were always no or loyal programs. So as people find these, I would call them giants of nutrition when they read their books. And I'll say particularly Dr. Esselstyn, you'll find over and over, no oil, no oil, no oil. It leads to the conclusion that oil's horrible and oil's harmful and oil has never been shown to have any benefits in the human diet. Well, that's actually not true. If you're a really sick heart patient, significantly overweight, actively trying to reverse your diabetes, the published research suggests that a plant diet without added oils, or as Dr. Neil Bernard says, no or low oil, is probably a good approach. When you're you know, a 26, 27-year-old, 32-year-old healthy person, athlete, and you can walk into a you know, gourmet store and buy a bottle of extra virgin olive oil in a dark glass bottle, you've just bought, you know, the, you bought the premium fuel of uh, plant-based oils, far better than, as I said, butter, lard, and coconut oil. And I'm a proponent, but, you know, where does Wesson corn oil in a plastic bottle fit in? And how many pesticides are in that bottle from it being um, a GMO modified corn and all? I mean, you, you got to look at the quality of what you're buying. So organic o vegetable oils are much healthier than meat-based fats being added to the diet, you know, baking grease and lard. And there's still a lot of people, of course, that's a staple in their diet. And as soon as you can educate them to uh, upgrade to some high-quality organic vegetable oils, you've done them an advantage. I mean, if they want to go the next step and learn to saute and steam and instant pot, God bless them. You know, in my house, we cook without added oil. I have a few, like, I, I find extra virgin olive oils like wine shopping. It's strange names, it's strange countries, it's strange uh, words and labels, but it's that same kind of hunt for quality, quality. It's uh, you want to spend a little more and have your favorite little bottle and, you know, a little splash on grilled vegetables or a caprese salad with one of plant-based cheeses if you want or on a salad. Whether it helps you absorb fat-soluble vitamins, like whether it helps you absorb the vitamin E components, vitamin D components, vitamin A components, it may to uh, actually help you uh, absorb some of them. Yeah, thank you for that clarification because I think there's been this narrative that's been created in the plant-based community that oil is horrible. And of course, as you said, maybe coconut oil. It's ugly, it's oh. divisive, it causes people to literally hate each other yeah. over this tiny little topic that is relevant to some people that are in the patient mode. Right. But it's not relevant to the masses that just need to upgrade their health. Yeah, I I'm sick of it. And my blog is oil-free optional. So, yeah. you know, 99% of my recipes, I make them without oil. But I'll use a fat, like I'll, I'll add tahini or seeds or some kind of nut butter or avocado. And people also get confused. I get a ton of comments on my blog saying, you lied you said this was oil-free, but you put a nut butter in here. So I've tried to explain that, you know, there's a difference between added oil and, and fat-free. It's created a manic hysteric response that's um, such unnecessary diversion from crap versus real and fresh versus, you know, processed. And, um, you know, it, it, it is unfortunate. And I, you know, I get criticized. I've had 
you know, videos made, and so has a few other of my peers, you know, were oil pushing doctors. No, I mean, you know, the science is pretty clear. I'll just give you an example. There are two studies. You take a healthy volunteer, you have them eat a meal very high in olive oil, you're measuring on their arm a certain measure of artery health. Two studies do suggest there might be a transient drop in artery health for a couple hours after a uh, high olive oil meal. There's 18 studies that say the opposite. They actually show improvement in artery function. Uh, nobody wants to talk about that, 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 that they have overpowered and overnumbered. Now, if I have a real sick heart patient, I probably won't ignore those two studies and I'll try and do everything I can to fight for their artery health. But again, that's not your uh, readership or your blog or your listenership. Um, they're simply not that kind of patient. So yeah, we need to we need to move on to better conversations, you know, whether they are regenerative farming or environmental issues or, you know, um, maybe pesticide, non-pesticide, GMO organic issues that, you know, are, are a little more relevant. So that's all about oil. I'm excited we talked about that. But what do animal products do to your arteries? Yeah, there's a whole series. You know, there is this sub-conversation. I buy grass-fed, grass-finished beef or organic um, it's got to be better than, you know, what most people eat. You know, and 98, 97% of meat in America is produced in these confined animal factory operations, CAFOs. Um, it were heavily treated with antibiotics, pesticides, um, infection-prone uh, food. Um, you know, you can go to that upper elite group that can find grass-fed, grass-finished. You're not going to find it in many restaurants. There's a little bit of data that really wild animal meat has a lower fat content and is healthier than factory farm. There's a little bit of data that the omega-3 content of grass-fed uh, beef is a little higher than uh, grain-fed beef, corn-fed beef. Most people aren't buying it anyway, so it's largely irrelevant. But what you can't alter is that meat tends to be high in saturated fat, and it's higher than uh, fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes and saturated fat. And there's incontrovertible agreement that saturated fat tends to raise your cholesterol and a high cholesterol tends to cause heart disease. Yes, there are people that eat meat that never have a heart attack and there are people with a high cholesterol. As recently in the last three weeks, and I've written about this in a few blogs, um, a very prominent review confirmed what we've known for 50 years. Uh, foods rich in saturated fat, buttered cheese, meats, full-fat dairy, um, pizza with pepperoni, raise your cholesterol, raise your risk of heart disease, game over. We knew that 10 years ago, and then there were all kinds of arguments that were largely um, funded by the dairy industry and the beef industry that confused the public. But so you can't take away the saturated fat in, in beef, for example. You can't take away, it's very rich in an amino acid called L-carnitine that may cause you to make a very obscure chemical called TMAO, which may be bad for your arteries. Uh, you can measure it in a blood test. I measure it in thousands of people. Most people haven't heard of it. You can't get away. There's a fascinating new theory that red meat has a chemical in it called NU5GC. Now, you can't do a blood test. Humans don't make NU5GC. We get we react to it in red meat and we make antibodies to it. There's a whole new theory of heart disease damage, artery damage from eating meat with new 5GC that we don't have. Fascinating, a lot of science behind it. Doesn't matter what kind of beef you buy, it's gonna have new 5GC. Um, there are people that are now demonstrating a meat allergy, an anaphylactic meat allergy, like some people have an anaphylactic uh, nut allergy. Um, very prominent right now in Virginia, 
uh, to have a reaction to red meat and have to stop eating it. You can't get away from that. You know, hormones, pesticides, antibiotics in the production of meat. Uh, there's never fiber. Meat never has fiber. Meat never has vitamin C. Uh, it's far lower. I mean, the famous Dr. Michael Greger says the worst plant food is still 60 times richer in antioxidants than any, you know, high quality cut of beef. And antioxidants in, in a natural form help protect us from diseases like heart disease and diabetes. So, you know, those things are just, you know, enough of a reason that people should eat little or no meat in their diet, which again, that that's the traditional and Mediterranean diet. You don't want to you don't want to slaughter your goat if you only own one. You might slaughter your goat on Easter, but you're not slaughtering your goat every night. And we're eating meat, you know, two, three times a day in this country, even in hospitals. It's just outrageous. And that's just talking about the arteries that lead to your heart. And I think people don't realize the connection that your arteries are leading everywhere. They're connected to your brain health, your sexual health. Can you touch on that as well? Yeah, you know, unfortunately, a lot of the data, I'm, I have a pretty big practice of male sexual health within my cardiology practice because it very often is the same disease, as you very correctly pointed out. Uh, I just had a patient, you know, just before I logged on to speak to you in his early 40s starting to have erectile dysfunction. And he was bright enough to bring up, I'm concerned this is a sign my arteries are getting unhealthy. Because you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the end of the game might be a stroke, a heart attack, a bypass, a stent. But 10 years before, all the arteries in the body are suffering some damage. It's called endothelial dysfunction, but artery damage. And sometimes sexual uh, performance issues show up as the first sign of future heart attack and stroke risk. And, you know, unfortunately, either it gets ignored or you go to the gas station and the guy buys horny goat weed or they go to their doctor and they get, you know, uh, Viagra or Cialis. But nobody raises a question. What's your blood pressure, blood sugar, cholesterol, inflammation? Maybe we need to look at your arteries. And, you know, you want to catch it early because all you got to do is change your diet and you'll see, you know, blood flow to the kidneys, blood flow to the brain, you know, I'll, I'll come back to the brain in a minute, but certainly you can see uh, any sexual impairment uh, respond dramatically. You don't need pills. I say blueberries, not blue pills, and you'll uh, heal a lot of that problem. But there again, I don't want to just quote studies, but there's a number of studies. What happens if you eat one super high fat meal rich in animal saturated fat? And it, you know, your arteries can suffer, testosterone drops, um, inflammation is created. Uh, just recently, um, there was a study of about 60 women fed a high-calorie meal. It was the same number of calories as you get from a Burger Mac milkshake and fries at McDonald's. But one was rich in animal-saturated fat, and one another day they came back and they had vegetable oil. And they actually measured their brain function. Just think for a minute, you're going in to take your LSATs, or you're going in to take your bar, or you're taking your MCATs, and you stopped at McDonald's and you had a burger, cheese, fries, and a milkshake. They actually documented for about five hours your cognitive function, your memory testing goes down after a poor quality. You could always say, well, that's crap food. Well, America eats a lot of crap food. But it's, uh, it was specifically in the study, animal fats saturated versus plant oils. And there wasn't a drop off with plant oils. So plants almost always win in any example you come up with. That's really interesting. And I also want to hear your opinion on exercise and what you recommend for everyone in terms of that. Yeah, you know, it's fundamental, fundamental health, you know, um, 
habit to develop. It can be anything. It can be Pilates or bar or yoga or you know treadmill. It doesn't really matter. I mean, the American Heart Association says 150 minutes a week of moderate exercise. You can still talk, but you're a little breathless. It's only 22 minutes a day. We're all busy. Whether you do that, you know, at home nowadays with a high-intensity program, whether uh, you're going getting back to a gym or a trainer or you love to run outside or bike. Yeah, you can do way more than that, but uh, a lot of people skip that. About 50% of Americans exercise on target and 50 don't. So we still got a lot of people to reach. You know, it naturally lowers blood pressure, naturally helps you sleep, naturally lowers blood sugar, blood cholesterol, associated with extended lifespan. Um, you know, you can't sacrifice the health benefits. And sometimes, again, people aren't ready to change their diet, but they start the health fitness, the exercise program. And they realize, you know, I'm feeling better and uh, I'm not as tired and I'm not as brain foggy. And that gets them into asking the next question. I wonder, you know, since I can see that my body's responding, maybe I ought to upgrade my diet. So people want to you know, approach it from that route. That's fine. But boy, plant powered athletes clearly uh, are recovering, having less inflammation, uh, lifting, you know, more weights. And that's not only the Game Changers movie and all the people that were featured there. There's a lot of science that you can pick any sport in the world and, you know, fuel yourself without animal food. Yeah, definitely. And just something I wanted to bring up, because this is something I do. Everyone's now wearing like a Fitbit or an Apple Watch, and it tells you your resting heart rate. And I think that's a great indicator of your heart health. So can you give like a range of what everyone's resting heart rate should be? Yeah, you know. It isn't normal to have a high resting heart rate, you know, over 100 is ridiculously high if you're really relaxed, but even 85, 90, you would wonder um, about adequate sleep, you'd wonder about hydration, you'd wonder about thyroid health, you know, it can be a clue to having elevated blood sugar and even diabetes, but you'd hope to find it long before that became the sign. As long as you're not dizzy, a resting heart rate of 45 to 70, anything in that range is fine. There's a theory, nobody knows if it's true, that we only have so many heartbeats to spend in our life. So if your resting heart rate is 55, you know, you may make it further down the road. There is some science of, you know, uh, a reasonably low resting heart rate being certainly a sign of good fitness, good uh, metabolism, low inflammation. So I get concerned when people show me from their devices, their whoop or whatever the heck they're wearing, their aura rings. Uh, that their resting heart rate is, you know, 88, 93, uh, something's off, stress or sleep or metabolism or thyroid. Mine before this whole quarantine thing started, and I'm still working out, but before I would always go to these high intensity interval classes, my resting heart rate was like 56 or 57, which I think was really great. And now it's like in the um, like 62, 63. So it's gone up a little bit since I haven't been going to those classes, but um a little more stress. Everybody's feeling it without a doubt. Yes, definitely. Well, this has been amazing. I just have a few questions that I ask every guest on the podcast just to get sure. to know you a little bit better. These are just more fun, lighthearted questions. Um, number one, what would your last meal on earth be? Do I have to hit a button? Um, it's like <laughs> a game show. Last earth meal on earth. Well, there's always going to be a really good bottle of red wine and some really kick-ass extra virgin olive oil, uh, probably from Portugal. Um, I would have a giant salad with other colored vegetable there, and I would have a homemade pizza. I just can't get and I don't put cheese on it. I mean, I'm talking garlic and onion and broccoli rabe and uh, could be some uh, radicchio or 
Oh, that would do it for me. I, I, you know, hopefully sitting on a porch looking over a lake or a nice breeze. But Sounds good. Are you yeah. having dessert with your last meal? No, I'm personally not a big dessert eater. It's not like you'll never see me. It just doesn't turn me on as much as good food. Um, you know, slice up a kiwi or an orange would be a perfect ending to that. Well, pizza and wine sounds good to me. Um, number two, what's one thing you can't live without in your morning routine? Uh, hemp hearts. Yeah, just every day. Hemp hearts somewhere. I mean, it's just crazy. I do blood testing for omega-3. It's available. Most people don't have it done. It's called Omega Check. And I've just become so sensitive to people being dramatically low, including a lot of plant eaters. You know, um, you can eat a lot of beans and a lot of greens and get some, but not much omega-3. And it has a, it just feels better. The joints are better. So uh, that is always there. I can tell you, you know, 12 other things I do every morning too. <laughs> Red light therapy, vibrational plates. Uh, uh, what do I do? What kind of, I do five Tibetans yoga. Uh, you know, lemon warm water most days. But what's a vibrational plate? You don't know about that whole body vibration. Yeah, you know, there's a company like the machine. Yeah, there's a company called Power Plate that you might see in an upper end gym, but you can get a home version. And there's some data for um, cellulite, bone health, blood pressure. I just have a, a fun little routine. I like I, li- I like that feeling. Oh, that's fun. I'm gonna have to try that. Um, Power play. What is something quirky about you people would be surprised to find out? Quirky. Quirky, quirky. I am quirky. If you talk to your friend from uh, high school, Jessica, uh, a lot of quirks. Um, always music everywhere I go. There's Usually it's Italian rock music, and I can't speak Italian. I just love it. Somebody named Zucchero or Eros Ramazzotti or Vasco Rossi. Um First date with my wife was a Springsteen concert in 1975. I was not yet vegan then. So there'll be Springsteen screaming somewhere through the day. Um, And, you know, it's a constant conversation after 39 years of marriage, if that's a little too loud or not loud enough. (laughs) So I, I like the big sound going on. And if you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be? I actually just briefly mentioned it. It would be uh, five Tibetan yoga flow. This is a well-known 12-minute yoga flow, but you do the exact same thing. You don't need a class. Uh, I've written about it in a blog. You can Google it. Um, It's amazing core back uh, flexibility. And, you know, when you're 26, 27, 28, you pretty much can bend anywhere usually. Uh, I just passed birthday 61, and flexibility is getting rare. I still have it, but uh, it's just a great little um, preset yoga flow. I love the days when we packed out a room in Detroit with 120 people at, you know, 103 degrees and uh, we were mat to mat. I don't know that we're going to be able to do that so easily nowadays, a good hot yoga class, but having the ability to do something anywhere, you know, uh, hotel room on the road and all is good. So, And is that something people can find on YouTube? Yeah, if you Google five Tibetan yoga flow, you'll see some quirky, odd, granola-like YouTubes out in the woods. But, you know, keep looking. You'll find a a nice little informative one. I'm going to have to try that. Yeah, you should look it up. What is your favorite grocery store? Wow, that's interesting. Um, If I could go anywhere right now, bat my eyes, I'd be in Italy, uh, probably on Broadway and 25th. Um, You know, just... Who doesn't love New York and who doesn't love Italian? Um, so there I would be. 
And what about in Michigan? What's your go-to grocery store? <laughs> well, I'd say 50% of my income goes to Plum Market uh, on Orchard Lake or Maple and Lager. And uh, just, you know, great produce and great quality food. And um, they even have a pretty good program of wiping down all the baskets. And yeah, Plum Market is beautiful for any of you who haven't been there. It's like, it's like a Whole Foods. It's just more of like a, a, a luxury, enjoyable grocery experience. Yeah, maybe Whole Foods like it was 10 years ago. Okay, I have, this is just the last part of the podcast. This is called Would You Rather Foodie Edition. This is just like rapid fire, would you rather. Okay, cool. Peanut butter or almond butter? Peanut butter. Pasta or pizza? Pizza. Cookies or brownies? Brownies. Spinach or kale? Spinach. Pancakes or waffles? Waffle. Smoothie or juice? Smoothie. Hot fudge or caramel? Hot fudge. Lemons or limes? Lime. Hummus or guacamole? Hummus. Pesto or marinara sauce? Oh, man. Uh, marinara. All right. You got it. That's it. That's Would You Rather Foodie Edition. <laughs> <laughs> fun questions. Yes. Yeah, super fun. Well, I could talk to you all day. We're going to have to have you on again because I still have so many questions, but this was very informative and I had the best time. Me too. And I accept your offer to come back. Just go interview some other people and we'll circle back so much that we could talk about, but proud of what you're doing and uh, making a difference is you know a great feeling in life. And Dr. Khan, where can everyone find you on social media? Uh, thank you for asking that because I do spend uh, a lot of effort and time. But I have a central website, drjoelkahn.com, D-R-J-O-E-L-K-A-H-N.com, because it links to my restaurant in Detroit, links to my clinic where I still actively see people from all over the United States, links to blogs and articles and all my social media. But I'm on Twitter and Instagram all the time, D-R-J-K-A-H-N. And uh, Facebook posts every day at Dr. Joel Kahn. Uh, once in a while, show up on LinkedIn and YouTube. But uh, most of the action is on Twitter and Instagram. And I really do try and put out informative uh, or funny. And I try and balance it posting. Thank you. And we will talk soon. Thank you. Peace out. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time.